Welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry of Pastor David Robinson and brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Today we're beginning a new series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And here's Pastor David with part one of his introduction. From the beginning, God has set a plan for our lives. From the very beginning, he always knew it. We're his creation, made in his image and likeness, and we were set to live in and through him in a very particular way that was all about full life, full life. God has set the standard for what life looks like, right? What it's supposed to look like. From the beginning, he set that standard, and he's given us scripture, right? He's given us the Bible, and he's given us nature, all the things that he's made to help us to see what that life is supposed to look like. If you read Romans 1, it talks about those things, that we have nature and that we have Scripture and all that we need to know about who he is, about the, his eternal Godhead, about all these things we can know through nature and he's given us Scripture and then he came, just in case we didn't get it. He came to earth, the Father sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to earth to show us by living out that kingdom of heaven life in front of us and for us. And yet we constantly and continuously seem to want to reject the standard that God has set for us. Instead of choosing those things that lead to life, we tend to choose things that lead to death. From Adam and Eve in the garden, succumbing to temptation from the serpent and eating that fruit, the one thing, he gave them one thing to do, right? They couldn't do that. To Cain and Abel, a brother murdering a brother. To the rebellion of the Israelites. To the Pharisees and the Sadducees who rejected and asked for the death of Jesus. To the many, many who claim to follow Christ now, but live like they've never even heard what his commands are. All of this, all of this is the world that we live live in, and yet God still has still has a plan for everyone in this room, for everyone who's listening to this sermon. He has a plan for all of us, a plan that he set in the beginning. My grandfather is here with us at Acts Church today. Yes, give him a hand. He loves attention, loves to be clapped for, so yeah, it's it's good. No. When I was younger, we would visit my grandma and my grandpa uh, for vacations because my dad was too cheap to pay for real vacations. Let's go to Disney World. Oh, we'll go to Grandma and Grandpa's house. Um, anyway, no, we loved it. We loved going there. Um, we'd go there. They had this playhouse in their backyard, like this wooden playhouse. Probably be, you know, a death trap now for kids. But for us, we loved it. And spiders all in there. And, but the event that I always liked when we would go to Grandma and Grandpa's house is when Grandpa would make his famous breakfast. I loved them. I would, I would always ask when we'd go visit what day Grandpa was going to make his breakfast. And then on that morning, I'd go down all fired up, ready for my pancakes, my orange Julius. It was wonderful because my grandpa loved us. He wanted us to experience life together as a family in joy. And so this is one of those moments, one of those things that to this day, I still remember those times and those breakfasts. Uh, and they were a special thing that grandpa would do for us. But that was not all grandpa did. He also had rules. 
Grandpa had rules. You may, your grandpa may have had rules too because he knew it was best for us grandkids. And when we were with grandpa, we needed to do what he said because he was keeping us safe. He was responsible for us. Um, and so we needed to do what he said. One time he came down, my dad was pastoring in California, Southern California, and that's where we were living. And, and grandpa came down to visit us and we went for a walk. My brother, I, I think it was just my brother and I and grandpa. And we decided we'd walk to my elementary school, which back then we used to walk to school. It was like a mile away in a city. I did it when I was in kindergarten, like five years old. Nobody with me. That's what kind of parents I had. Um, but that, I think they were hoping somebody would, you know, <clears throat> take me. Nobody wanted me, though. So um, we, would, we would go. So we went on this walk to the, to the elementary school. And I don't remember what Grandpa asked me to do. That part I don't remember. But I do remember that I didn't do what Grandpa asked me to do. And I remember that because when you didn't do what Grandpa asked you to do, there was a consequence, okay? Grandpa has these, these hands these very large hands. There are polar bears who are jealous of the size of the paws on my grandpa. They are just huge hands. And those hands, no doubt, were there for hugging. They always were. But they were also there for discipline. And when I disobeyed grandpa that day, those hands went to work. Okay? To make this story short and sweet, I listened to grandpa from then on. There was no more not listening to grandpa. And I wore a pillow in my backside whenever he was around. You all thought I just had a large rear end. It was, it was a special time, but there was both the love and there was the discipline, right? The bottom line is that God is like that. He's like that. He knows what's best for us. God, God wants us to be in this world in perfect relationship with him. That's what he wants. He wants it to be like that, like those mornings where I got up and I just couldn't wait to go hang out with grandpa and my family. God wants us to be in that kind of relationship with him where we just love to be with him. But part of that relationship is that sometimes when we go our own way and we get disorderly, God has to correct us. He has to correct us. I did not enjoy the experience of getting grandpa's spankings nearly as much as I enjoyed getting his orange Julius, Right? But if my grandpa was not the kind of man, this is important, if my grandpa was not the kind of man who would correct me, who would discipline me when I was getting disorderly, when I was going off the, the way, when I was doing things that were going to harm me, that were going to harm others, if he was not the kind of man who would correct me and discipline me in those moments, then I wouldn't have enjoyed those breakfasts with him because the point of me enjoying those breakfasts was because of the kind of man he was. And without the discipline, the love wouldn't have been there in the same way. See, I had to know that grandma and grandpa loved me enough to discipline. That I had to know that they loved me enough to risk me not liking them or not wanting to be around them or whatever, because that's what you have to fear when you discipline somebody, that they're going to reject you. That they had to risk that rejection in order to do what was best for me. That's the kind of person that made the breakfast such a great thing. And God's like that. God's like that. He will give us so much joy but he will also correct us when we're harming ourselves, when we're harming others, when we're harming his children. Now, we've been in this series called Rooted for quite a while, um, going through some of the letters in the New Testament. The last one we were in was 2 Thessalonians, and as that ended, we got into this, this section about sort of discipline, about shunning the disorderly brother and so on and so forth. Um, and, and it was interesting and kind of pushed up against us a little bit because the conception that we as Christians, as the church, have to discipline and use discernment and so on with our own brothers and sisters in Christ within the church is sort of uh, foreign to a lot of us in this culture. 
The idea that anybody can tell anybody else what to do and, and things like that. And so as we walked through that and went through that passage of scripture, the, the question arises, how, what else? What else about church? What else about being a Christ follower is foreign like that? What else it pushes against culture and the world's idea of what the church is or what it should be or culture and the world's idea of how we should live? What's different about that? And so we're, we're looking at the differences now. And there are a lot of them. A lot of them. There's a lot of different things for a follower of Christ than there is for the person who's not following him. It's a completely different world. And I know that, that there's going to be a lot of kind of accountability that comes up in this, and all of us need that. I know that I've needed it many times. I've needed the accountability that's been brought to me by brothers and sisters in Christ, the accountability that's been brought to me by God. And for those of you who have experienced it, you know it's transformational. And the idea is that what we're going to go through is going to bring some of that transformation to us. We're going to walk through the teaching, the commandments of our king. The commands of our Lord, meaning the one who we follow, of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. That's where what we find as the Sermon on the Mount, that's what we call it, called the Sermon on the Mount. It's very famous. And here's the thing. If Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount don't push up against you, if they don't push up against you, if you're not uncomfortable as you face the real call of a Christian. What it really means, not the thing that people say when they say, oh, he's a Christian or she's a Christian, but what it really means to be a Christian, what it really means to be a little Christ, a Christ follower. If that doesn't push up against you, if that doesn't grate on you, then you're not listening. You're not listening because this is something that should push hard, hard on us. You gotta let Christ's words rock you. You gotta let them rock you. You gotta let Christ's words destroy your pride and your rebellion. There's a book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treaders, written by C.S. Lewis. Um, in that book, there's a boy named Eustace Scrub. Eustace Scrub. And they say that Eustace was a little prig. Eustace was a little jerk. Okay? He was pretentious and rude. And basically he was a chore to be around. Nobody wanted to be around Eustace. He was a little jerk. He managed to upset everyone in the book that he was around until he was basically alone. And eventually what happens is in the story, Eustace becomes a dragon. He ends up turning into this dragon, and he's not happy about it. It's not a fun thing, apparently, to become a dragon. And uh, he, he has this experience as a dragon that really changes his heart as he's sort of separated from everybody as he's not a boy anymore, as he can't be with the other people, it starts to change his heart. It starts to change who he is. He starts to be sorrowful for the way that he was acting. And he wants to, he wants to go back to being a boy. He's recognized his errors. And so eventually Aslan the lion, who represents Jesus Christ in the Narnia stories, if you haven't read them and you, you really should, uh, he helps Eustace to become a boy again. But the process is a very painful one. And it's a very interesting one. The first thing that happens is that Eustace, as this dragon, tries to scratch the scales, the dragon scales, off of himself with these dragon claws. And so he scratched and he scratched and he scratched until he got these scales off and they're on the ground and he thinks they're all off. But then he looks at himself and he realizes there are still scales. So he scratches and he scratches and he scratches again and there's still scales. And he does it and he does it and he does it again and he's still covered with scales. He could see that he was not going to be able to get all the scales off. 
This is sometimes how we are. We think that by ourselves, we can have you know, freedom from the scales that have gotten on us. We think that we can, uh, that we know the best, that we know the best ways, that we know the best methods. This is going back to Eve and Adam in the garden. Does, did God really say this? No, you know better. You do this and you'll be like God. And every one of our sins, all the way down through history, it's the same thing. If we're sitting, if we're walking away, it's because we think we know better than God. And we always think that we know better. And we think that we don't need God and that we can figure it out ourselves. Try harder. I'll just try harder, right? I'll just think better thoughts. I'll think positive thoughts. Scratch, scratch, scales, scales. We think that we got it all figured out, but we're just scratching the surface. And what happens is all the self-help in the world leaves us still a dragon, leaves us still with these scales. We still have these ugly scales underneath, no matter how much we scratch away, because we can't do it ourselves. And Eustace, he finally realized this. And once Eustace realized he would not be successful at changing from a dragon to a boy by himself, this is what happens in the story. It says this. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know if you've ever picked the scab of a sore place, it hurts like the bilio, but it is such fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much for I was tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I'd turned into a boy again. Aslan had to use his huge lion claws to scratch off all the dragon scales on Eustace. And it hurt very badly. It felt like it cut to the heart. But Aslan did it. Aslan restored Eustace to what Eustace should have been, the little boy that God had made him to be. And Eustace hadn't been able to do it himself. This study that we're about to go through, that we're introducing this week through the Sermon on the Mount, it's like that. It's like having God, the Lion of Judah, take his big and loving claws and scratch all the scales off us. We have built up all kinds of lies and compromises in our lives. We catch them like you catch a cold from the world, from society. We've justified all kinds of behavior to where now the scales have gotten on us. Even for the Christ follower, they tend to get there. 
They tend to attach, but God wants us clean. He wants us clean. He wants us to be the men and women and boys and girls that he made us to be. But it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to cut us to the heart. But, oh, it's worth it. We can trust the hands of our king. That it might hurt some, but he knows what we need. As many of you know, our mission here at Acts Church is the Great Commission. The mission of every church, of every Christ follower. And this is it, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We are to make disciples of Jesus Christ as he has commissioned and commanded us to do. We're his followers and his disciples. We're supposed to make more. And then we're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we're to teach them to observe all things that he's commanded us. Pretty clear. A pretty clear mission. The Sermon on the Mount lays out many of those commands, of those teachings, of those things that we're supposed to follow. It gives us a picture of what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of our king, Jesus Christ. That's what it's going to show us. Now here it is, the first section of this scripture passage. We're only doing two verses this morning that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, that's the end of verse 2. His disciples came to him, and he taught them. That's, that's the setup. The rest of it is what he taught them. We're just going words in red now for two chapters. Jesus teaching. And Lord willing, we'll get to what he taught them next week. But what I want us to get before, as an introduction, is before we get into all the things that Jesus taught, I want us to understand that we have to come to this with the right heart attitude that you actually are going to have to prepare yourself, as you always should do, but I'm, but I'm asking you and exhorting you especially to prepare yourself for this section of Scripture, this powerful section of the teaching of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. For those of you who lay down and trust the Lord Jesus to tear those scales away, you're going to experience transformation. What Jesus has to say here will absolutely transform you. But there's a warning here too, and take this seriously. For those of you who refuse to listen, for those of you who refuse to let God change you, who want to keep scratching your own scales, who don't want to buy into what he has to say, your scales are going to get harder. You're going to calcify. You can't sit under the teaching of Jesus Christ from the scripture and ignore it and turn out the same either. You'll get harder. You'll get a harder heart. You become more hardened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You become more hardened to the love and affection of Jesus Christ if you listen, but you don't do. If you listen, but you don't let it affect you. Do not listen to this series and ignore it or suppress the truth that Jesus Christ is bringing to you in your unrighteousness. Don't do that. It's actually incredibly harmful. It would be better for you not to hear it than to hear it and ignore it. And this is a real warning. This is what James says 
James 1, 21 through 25, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Be a doer. Be a doer of the word. Do the work. Don't be only a hearer. Listen, there has been plenty of hearing going on in our world. There's no shortage of people who hear. In fact, a lot of the things that Jesus says are things that many other people have said. There's no shortage of good moral teaching out there. There's no shortage of the right words. You know what there's a shortage of? Doers. People who hear and let it penetrate to the heart and change their affections. That's what there's a shortage of. Be a doer. Be a doer. We are called as believers to to hear, believe, do. Hear, believe, do, period. That's our job. That's our job. Lord willing, this scripture that we study will make your heart softer. It'll make it softer. But if you do not let Jesus in to do his transforming work, your heart will get harder. That's how this works. It's one way or the other. There's no neutrality here. When Jesus speaks, there are those who are drawn to the aroma that's blessed and amazing and those who are repelled. So how's your heart? Are you ready to really hear the teachings of Jesus and let them transform your life? I sure hope so. Remember, if you have any questions about today's episode or we can help you in your faith, please call us at 360-885-9000 or send us an email. Use info at axchurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out the next episode for part two of this introduction to Right Side Up here on Contemplate.